Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. All right, all right. I love that you all are having such a wonderful time chatting and catching up. Uh, it is a super important thing that we do here is just um, chat and, and talk together and, and hang out and get to know uh, one another and what's going on. So again, welcome. Super glad that you're here. It's summertime, uh, a little less people out, but super glad to see you. And I can say as someone who's been sort of... Um, in a transition time in life and have, haven't been around town too much, it's really good to, to be back and to see friends and faces. Um, it feels like home seeing people. So um, I hope you feel the same when you're here. So today, we're gonna move on to the next week of our series, which is that we are called to something as believers. So uh, just as a quick recap, we've already talked about how we are called to freedom. We are called to spiritual maturity. We are called to pray. We are called to evangelism, which Rick spoke about last week. And today we're going to be talking about how we as Christians are called to be holy. That is an intimidating topic. I can tell you, uh, having sat to think about it and and the idea of holiness, uh, I felt overwhelmed um, by the concept. And if I'm truthful to that, I think that's how we ought to feel. We ought to feel overwhelmed. We ought to feel um, the mystery of that, the awe of that. So all that to say, I'm, I'm grateful to be here and I'm honored to be here talking with you about that today. Holiness is not something that's in our vocabulary. I mean, think, think for yourself, when is the last time you used the word holy? And did you use it with just friends out and about? It's not something that I think about um, on a regular basis. It's not something I use. But when I do use it and I do think about it, it's generally in regards to church or something, you know, in our Christian culture, maybe we meet up in our, one of our community groups and we start using the word holy all of a sudden. So what does it even mean? What, what do we have in culture that even is analogous to this idea of what it means to be holy? Because it's a very foreign concept. When I say holy, you probably think of God or something super spiritual um, or something like really special, um, which I don't think those things are not true. Um, but the holiness of God is a very vast and, and deep and powerful thing. And so to get sort of an understanding of what that is, is hard to do. Um, I thought of one example, um, which I know will fall short, but I think it's the best that I can do, is the idea of meeting someone like the Queen of England. We, don't have, we, have, we have a president here, um, but I think the idea of a queen, someone who's in that ultimate authority, um, depicts this even better. If you're going to go have dinner with the queen, how do you feel in that moment? I think there's a sense of, of the idea of holiness is there. Uh, there's a sense of she has a title, yes, queen. She rules. So you're like, okay, she has power. That makes you feel a sense of weight. And that power and that, that position, that office, then also causes you to think, what am I going to wear? <laughs> right? Are you going to throw on your Eugene you know, flip-flops and, and uh, shorts and unbuttoned uh, shirt and stroll in and say, what's up to the queen? Probably not. You're probably going to dress 
appropriately for the occasion and for the, uh, the person and for the event, which means you probably would dress really nice, um, that you would dress modestly, um, and that when you go and you attend, you will conduct yourself in an appropriate manner, right? And we have our own um, sense of manners. Uh, when you're eating, uh, you know, you're going to use the proper hands or, or, you know, sit upright and use the right fork, which is hard to do. I never know what's next. Um, but you're going to conduct yourself in a manner that's appropriate for the occasion and appropriate for the office and the event. I think that helps us get an idea of what it means to say that God is holy. So in scripture, holiness is used in many ways, and it's ascribed to many things. It's ascribed to God, first and foremost. Uh, It's also ascribed to people. It's ascribed to priests. It's ascribed to the temple. We ascribe it to our Bibles. We call it the Holy Bible. It's ascribed to objects. It's ascribed to celebrations and days, like a holy day. So what does that mean? That's an interesting word. It gets used in a lot of different ways, which makes it difficult to understand. But if we can sort of narrow it down a little bit, I think that ultimately, God's holiness, or calling him holy, defines all that he is. It is, it is his ultimate defining characteristic. He is holy, which at its very core is, is sort of a spatial term, which means he is set apart, that he is unique. I think it describes both his ultimate goodness and also his power. It describes his uniqueness in the way that he is the creator and sustainer of all life, which I don't think that we can say about anyone or anything else. As Tim Mackey puts it, he he describes God's holiness like a radiating energy that can be dangerous to approach. When we think about God and all that he is, and all of his power, and all of his goodness, there is a sense in which it's um, like the sun, that it's radiating this energy, and that it's a good thing that it brings life, and that it brings goodness, but also if you get too close, it might hurt you. And the sense in which when we approach God, he's dangerous, because he is holy, and he is powerful. And so then, when we are invited into the presence of God, which I believe God invites us into, how do we approach him? And I think when we're asking the question of what does it mean to be called to be holy as believers, we have to ask that question is, if God is inviting us to be holy as he is holy, how do we, how do, we do that? That's a difficult, difficult thing. So when God is asking us to be holy, he is inviting us to partake and to participate in the nature of who he is, because ultimately God's holiness describes all that he is in his character and being. He's saying, I want you to come and partake and participate in who I am. So let's just quickly step back for a moment and talk about a couple things that holiness is not, which I think is helpful. So in this case, holiness is not just simple rule following. I think a lot of us think, when we think of holiness, we think, oh yeah, it's like a goody two-shoes, right? That follows all of the rules. But I don't think that's the case. When we look at scripture, Mark talks about the Pharisees, and he says, the Pharisees were externally moral, 
but yet their hearts were very far from God. And I think as we just think about holiness as just simply following the rules, we miss something that's super important to God's holiness, which means he's not just simply interested in what we do. He's in, he is interested in who we are in here. He's interested in our heart. He's interested in our thoughts and our emotions. And simply following the rules just does not address the idols that we hold inside of us. So I don't think holiness, as we strive to be holy, is simply just following the rules. And I think there's a phrase we use, uh, holier than thou. That's a little antiquated, I guess, for us now, but the, the same concept, I think, is, is prevalent in our culture, um, which is just to say that, oh, yeah, like you, you follow the rules so well that you're just holier than thou. You're just so good, like, oh, I can't be in your presence. You're too good. Uh, you're too good for me. I even experienced that. I remember in high school, um, cussing was something that I was brought up that you just do not do. And that was something I, I like really held to. And I remember um, friends of mine, when they would get around me, they would just, they would not cuss. And if they did, they would apologize because they knew that that's something I didn't do. And that was kind of their way of saying like, oh yeah, you're just holier than thou. Like we, you know, you're just a simple, you're just like this rule follower who's trying to do the, the best thing. And, and I think that was true of me. I was trying to do that, but there's something in here that's still missing, right? That if that's not coming from a heart of honoring God and just simply following the rules, that there's something missing in that holiness. Uh, secondly, I think the idea of generational imitation is not simple holiness. The idea that holiness is about sort of restoring the church and the way of life to its old way of doing things. I think some of us maybe in the older generation might admit that we wish things uh, were like they once were, we would say. Uh, it's not about simply maybe recreating the old Puritan way of life with its rules and, and regulations. It's not about uh, re-implementing like the anti-dancing, anti-card playing way of life where there's all these rules and regulations. Holiness is not about that. Ultimately, I believe God as our Father is interested in not us imitating those that came before us, but in imitating Christ himself, which is super important. And lastly, I would say holiness is not, it is not being gen generically spiritual. I think in our culture today, the idea of just being spiritual is really prevalent. And I know that's really undefined, um, but if I can, in essence, I think people that would call themselves spiritual are interested in things like prayer and like healing and inner peace. But seemingly at the same time, they don't want anything to do with rules and regulations or structure. They don't want anything to do with moral principles and standards. They want a connection with God or whoever they see as a spiritual being. Um, but they don't really want to be transformed by any sort of regulation that comes along with that. And I would say that this is not holiness. A true spiritual experience, according to God, if we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, if we encounter him, we will be transformed. If you get close to the Son, if you get close to God, something is going to happen. He is ultimately holy. He is ultimately power, powerful and good. And if you encounter him, it will be revealed in a change in you. And you will have to follow his structure and his organization. 
So before we get into the text today, if you do want to turn there, we are going to be in 1 Peter. I want to talk to you about just a couple of theological terms that I think are going to be helpful as we get into the passage talking about how we are called to be holy. Um, you, you may have heard these words before, but we're just going to quickly unpack them. Um, this whole concept is, is this idea uh, of already but not yet, which is an interesting concept. So the two terms we're going to talk about is justification and sanctification. So justification, here it is. It is an act of God whereby he pardons the sinner and declares him righteous in his eyes. It is a legal transaction with God and man whereby he essentially writes on paper that you are declared righteous. So if you accept Christ as your Savior and place your faith and trust in his work of salvation, you are justified right now in the eyes of God, that that you are declared righteous in his eyes right now. So this is a legal declaration that addresses the guilt of your sin, and it pardons you. So the second word is sanctification. So this is a little bit different, and it comes out of the work of justification. If you are justified, then we look towards what comes next, sanctification. That word comes from holy. You are being made holy. You are being sanctified. So definition here, the work of God Sanctification is the work of God in the lives of his people to progressively renew and transform their whole persons to make them holy. So meaning transforming their persons to bring them into his likeness, which is the ultimate revelation of what holiness is. So it is an ongoing progressive work that God will complete on the last day when he returns. So right now, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, for the salvation of your soul's future, he has justified you right now and said, you are righteous in my eyes because I have seen the work of Jesus on your behalf. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to make you holy. And although you are not yet truly holy, as I have promised to you in the future, I am going to begin now to make you holy. I'm going to sanctify you. And that is the progressive work. If you call yourself a Christian today, you are called to be holy. You are called to be sanctified. You are called to be transformed into the image and likeness of our creator, which is an unbelievable calling. As I'm saying it now, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling the sort of overwhelmedness of that. And James kind of addresses this idea in the book, excuse me, in the book of James. He essentially says that those who truly have their faith in Christ will also have lives that are revealing of the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives. He's saying, if you don't have this work, this this sanctified work, this outworking of the good deeds that God has called you to and the pure heart that God has called you to, if we're not seeing that, I'm, I'm I'm nervous about whether you're justified or not. Have you truly placed your faith in Christ and his work on your behalf? Which should be a sobering reminder for us, as James says, faith without works is dead. As if to say, if you are justified, you will be sanctified. So as we are called to be holy, 
God promises that to us. And he says, I'm going to work on you. And he does that through his spirit. The quote from John Calvin, uh, I think, is uh, helpful here. He says this in reference to justification and sanctification. And I quote, those gifts, referring to those two ideas, those gifts of grace go together as if tied by an inseparable bond, so that if anyone tries to separate them, he is, in a sense, tearing Christ to pieces. You cannot separate your justification in Christ from his working in your life to sanctify you and make you holy. So as we look to our passage today, we want to keep those ideas in mind. Because I think our passage today encourages us to say that holiness is something to be hoped in, future, that we will be truly holy in the presence of God, that, that sin will no longer be in our presence. It's something to be hoped for. But right now, it's also something to be obedient to, because we are living into that. As Kevin DeYoung says in his book, he, he wrote a good book called, and it's a short one, uh, I would recommend it. It's called The Whole in Our Holiness. And he puts it this way. He says, sanctified is what we are and also what we must become. So this, and this is the last thing before we jump into the text. This is super crucial. The way that this worked is, works is, I am not trying to be holy and then all of a sudden I get justified, Right? That means your works are earning your salvation. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, if you are justified, then you will be made holy. So if I trust God, then I will obey. Don't mix those up. Because if you do, you have missed the gospel. You have missed the truth of God's word. So let's get into the text here. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. It should be near the end of your Bibles there. So here's what we're going to go over today. There are four truths about holiness I believe we have in the text today. Uh, And just to give you a little forecast of where we're going, here are the four points. Number one, holiness is the goal. Number two, you have a holy father. Number three, holiness is determined by God. And number four, your holiness was purchased. Those are the four truths about holiness I believe we're going to see uh, in the text today. So as we jump in, let me give you just a very brief uh, setting for what's going on here. Peter is the author, and he's writing um, to a people group that he describes as being scattered and also strange or strangers. I think both are, are welcome there. So this letter would have been received by Jewish Christians living outside of their home. And it also would have been received by Gentile Christians who were converted out of paganism. And ultimately, they were all residents of heaven as believers. And so their earthly home was only a temporary home. And as we see, uh, Peter will will take note that they are living in the sense of exile, that they are strangers in the place that they live. And uh, before we get in, so we're going to be starting in verse 13. And in the intro of chapter one here, before we get there, just to sort of sum that up, Peter is clear to remind them that through Christ, they are invited into a living hope that is Jesus resurrected that also brings us life. Through Christ, they are invited to a living hope that in the last times, 
when Jesus returns, they will receive salvation. He says, that is true for you, and God has promised it to you. And that's where we're going to pick up the text today. So if you would, please look with me. First Peter, we're going to just walk through this passage together. We're verse uh, 13 through 19 today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think this verse reminds us that holiness is the goal. Therefore, I mean, everyone, I feel like, always says this when therefore comes up. It's like, well, he's saying therefore for a reason because he said something uh, beforehand, right? So the truth that came before, therefore, because of that, in light of that, this is what's next. So because you have this living hope, this promise of the future, Here's where, we're, here's where we're moving. He says, prepare your minds for action, or sort of an antiquated phrase would be, gird the loins of your mind. Probably most of you are going, what in the world does that mean? Um, and it's an, odd, it's an odd phrase, but think if I had a long robe on. Girding the loins would be to pick up the robe, tuck it in my belt, and I'm, I'm ready. We're ready to move. We're ready for action, okay? So he's saying, gird the loins of your mind. So in here... Pick up your robe, tuck it in your belt, and be ready to go. Okay? Which I, uh, sometimes those pictures are just comical, and I, I find them very helpful, though. So gird the loins of your mind, and think clearly. Be sober-minded. So prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, do what? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in a sense, what he's saying is, be ready, prepare for action. How are you going to do that? You're going to do that by thinking clearly. How are you going to do that? You are going to set your hope and your mind fully on the grace to be revealed to you. So what he's saying is, as you remember and think about the promise of God future, that he will come and return and ultimately sanctify you as you are justified before God, he will ultimately remove you through his presence, uh, remove you from the presence of sin, that you will be in his presence and holy with him in his presence. He's saying, focus on that. Holiness is the goal. Living in my presence is the goal. Don't forget it. You're living in a time of exile. You're facing trials of various kinds. So here's the place to start. Think clearly. Remember what's to come. Don't forget this, though. As you remember that, get ready, right? Prepare for action. And I think we have this sense of as we look forward, we see justification, yes? We see we are ultimately justified before God, and we look forward to that hope and that promise. But right now, guess what? As you remember justification, you're saying, get ready, because it's sanctification time. We're, we're trying to live out what God has asked us to do. So holiness is the goal, and it should lead us to be ready. Let's move on to the next point, which is you have a holy father, picking it up in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I think the first thing to note here is that Peter just says, you are children, and you're children of God. And I, the songs that we sang this morning uh, spoke to that 
quite clearly, um, that we are a child of God. But what does that mean? I think as we think about our, our parents, maybe, um, usually children take on the likeness of their parents. Maybe not completely right, but there are certain tendencies or maybe personality traits or things that we absorb from our growing up that we take on. And Peter is reminding them that you are a child of God. Through your justification, through your faith in Christ, you have become a child of God. And as children, we inherit the nature of God, and we ought to inherit the nature of God, which is our sanctification, our being made holy. And this is through the grace of Jesus Christ. Through that grace, we've been adopted as children, and now under his holy name, we also ought to be holy. He's saying, I am holy, so you should be holy. You are my children. You ought to become like me. You ought to walk in my ways and act as I do. So do not imitate your earthly father, as it mentions in verse 18, which we're going to touch later. Do not imitate your earthly father, but imitate your heavenly father. And Matthew, in his gospel in chapter 23, uh, has this to say, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. That ultimately, as we focus on God as our father, that we ought to become like him. If we allow him to teach us and to discipline us in the way uh, of his character and his nature, we will become like him. And we need to lean into that. You cannot get close to God. You cannot be God's child and not be changed. I think is the truth here. Passage from 1 John, I think is helpful and relevant here. This is chapter 3, verse 1. Through three. John says this See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. So as we look forward to that hope, which is not yet, we start to find it already that he's purifying us and we have that hope and we can live into that. Moving forward to verse 16, which is really just a repetition here. He says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Why is he doing that? He already said that. Why do we need to say it again? Um, Peter here is saying, in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy. And then he says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I think there's an important note here about God's word and the authority of it. As we think about how, how do we live and lean into this holy life? How do we know what to do? How do I know how to act myself? Like I'm not hearing God talk to me verbally. I'm, I'm not. I mean, may, maybe some of you are. I, I'm not hearing that. Um, and I would argue that probably most of us don't like literally hear God's voice uh, all the time. So how do we know? Well, he gave us his word and it has authority. And it teaches us about how we ought to live. It teaches us about who he is, which is his holiness. It is, is his character. And so Peter is using the authority of God's word saying, as it is written, 
which is a quote from Leviticus here, be holy for I am holy. And that does come in the context of the law and all these um, sort of rules and regulations ascribed to God's people. And so in many ways, I think Peter is saying here, uh, somewhat specifically to say, hey, conduct yourselves in a manner that is honoring to God. Do the things in life that is honoring to God because God has asked you to do it. So you shall be holy as I am holy. We have a holy father and we ought to inherit his ways. Moving on to the next point. Holiness is determined by God. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So we see here that holiness is determined by God. Holiness, uh, God is your father. He's also your judge. He determines what's right and what's wrong. And here I think he's simply saying, hey, God does not accept bribes. He does not show favoritism. He's your father. He loves you, but, but he is going to determine what is good and what is bad. And he's going to reveal that to you. And ultimately, he's going to decide. And so what, what should we do? How should we respond? Uh, like we talked about in Ecclesiastes a while back, we ought to fear God. And I, I don't think fear is like this fear of like just being totally scared and afraid. I think fear is this, this honoring, honoring reverence, realizing that God is holy, meaning there's this sort of radiant power about him. And if I'm going to approach him and his ways, I need to, I need to honor that. I need to respect that. I need to see that office and I need to step into his ways in a way knowing that, that his power is transformative. And if I have anything unclean and unholy in me, he's going to see it. And as I approach, it's going to be dealt with. And I think we ought to honor God in that way. So holiness is determined by God, meaning it is judged by God. And he will decide who is holy and who is not holy. Let's move to the next point. Last point here, your holiness was purchased. I think this is a fantastic place to finish the conversation. Read with me verse 18 and 19 to finish up. Knowing that you were ransomed from the, excuse me, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Your holiness was purchased. I think the important thing to know here is that your ransom was really costly. And I think to understand sin and our sin, we need to understand what it cost. And just to put it really briefly, Jesus himself, as it talks about in Colossians and also in Hebrews, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the ultimate representation of God's holiness. And it took him coming to earth, living the perfect life you were supposed to live, and honoring God with his holy life in the way that you were supposed to honor God with your holy life. It took him coming down here and then dying a gruesome, awful death to atone for your sin. It took that much. It, it took God himself to come here 
for you. And he did it. And I think we think about our sins like, oh yeah, like I lie sometimes or I curse sometimes or I do this sometimes. Um, Those things equal God coming here in the flesh to suffer an unjust death on your behalf. And I think that should feel that should feel weighty. So let's talk about two quick things. He uses the word ransom. You were purchased, you were bought, right? So usually ransom would be in regards to something like slavery. So if you were ransomed, you were you were bought out of that situation. But then if you were bought out of it, sometimes you were then bought into something else, right? So even if it was freedom, you'd be bought out of slavery then into freedom, right? So let's talk about those real quick. So what were you ransomed from? Uh, here it mentions the feudal ways of your forefathers, which is really just reference to say, as Titus says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You were ransomed from that. You were purchased out of that. And so then what were we ransomed to? Well, I would say freedom, but, but also freedom meaning like slavery to God in a way. We were purchased into who God is. And that is a beautiful freedom because that is, that is the way that you were created to be, which is why it is freedom. So God purchased you out of the slavery of your evil, wicked ways, unholy ways, the ways of the man, the ways of man and the world into his righteousness. And lastly, to point out here, it mentions Jesus as the lamb. So, so sacrifices and animal sacrifices were used uh, in a way to approach the presence of God in the Old Testament. And it's saying that Jesus was appointed to be that blood for you so that you could take a step into the temple, which is the holy place where God's holiness and presence resides. So it's really bringing gravity to this idea that holiness is something that was bought for us and that is the presence of God that we get to step into. So let's close with a couple points because God's words should be transformative and it should teach us and it should show us how to go forth uh, and walk. And I think to, to bring it back to what we spoke about in the beginning is that first we ought to trust and then we ought to obey. Don't get them out of order. We trust that our ways were purchased by the work and person of Jesus Christ. We trust that through his resurrection then, we just don't have freedom from sin. We actually have freedom to live then eternally with God in his presence, which is a beautiful thing. We look forward to the the not yet. We look forward to that moment when not only will we be free from the power of sin today, but we will be free from the presence of sin altogether future. We trust in God's promises that he's faithful and will complete that. So out of the trust, we then set our our goal. We set our goal as the ultimate holiness that we'll be living outside of the presence of sin. And out of that trust in God's faithfulness to, to complete that work, we then obey. And Christians here today, hear me. God wants you to live a holy life now. He did not purchase you. He did not purchase heaven for you. Uh, he purchased holiness <laughs> for you. He, he purchased a relationship uh, with him for you, which is holiness. And you can start working that out now. Why? Because he gave you his spirit 
He gave you his presence. We call him the what? The Holy Spirit. He gave that to you to transform you into his likeness. So remember to trust first, look forward to the future, and then obey. And I'll leave you with that. This is the last verse, and we will close. This is from 2 Peter, and I just find it, I just sort of am in, I'm in awe of it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and we'll leave with this. Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God, through his son, asks you to partake and participate in his very nature, which is holy, holy, holy. So go forth and then be holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, um, we're sort of overwhelmed by the idea of holiness. Uh, it's difficult to understand. It's truly impossible to wrap our minds around. And we just ask that hearing from your word today, that you would transform us into your likeness, that you would renew our relationship to you, which does make us holy, and that you would allow us to trust in you future, that you will save us, God, and that that will lead us to obey now. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.